Welcome to How I Raised It, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with entrepreneurs who've raised capital. We uncover the tips, tricks, and techniques they use to get investors to write a check. Strap in and turn it up. Hi, welcome to another episode of How I Raised It, produced by Foundersuite.com. Today, I have Brian Vallelunga of Doffler coming to us from San Francisco. How's your day going here? Hey, it's great. Thank you for having me. Very excited. We're just prior to the Christmas week. Uh, what are your plans for Christmas break, if anything? Oh, man. I uh, So I don't typically get to do a lot of the engineering work anymore. I'm very much looking forward to uh, kind of taking on some fun engineering tasks uh, during the holidays for fun. And with COVID, you can't really get out that much. So that's kind of like a safe way for me to have a little fun on this engineering days. Coding, coding, good. True, spoken like a true engineer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely an engineer at heart. Um, yeah. Good for you. Um, well, my thing, I'm, uh, we have a couple days left of the crabbing season before the commercial crabbers are allowed to come in and vacuum up every every dungeness on the ocean floor so that's my whole thing i tried to go out yesterday but the winds winds and waves were not favorable so um that's it so i've, I've never done that before someday off to, to try you know it's pretty i'm in i'm in um in san francisco too or actually marin and it's you know you've got the whole ocean right at your doorstep and it's full of full of life. It's pretty, it's like the backyard, you know, if you're living in San Francisco and not taking advantage of some of the fun stuff the Bay has to offer, it's like you're missing out in my opinion. So, um, cool. Very good. Well, I could go on that on a tangent about that for hours, but let's talk about Doppler. What do you guys do? Yeah. So Doppler is a universal secrets manager and we store API keys, database URL certificates, things that developers would genuinely need to boot up their applications, typically through environment variables. Uh, you can think of what GitHub did for code, we're doing for environment variables and secrets. One central place where you can store all of them across all your projects, and you have versioning and access controls, and it's really made for that developer. Uh, typically, a lot of these tools are just built for the DevOps or security teams and they end up being pretty complex um, and troublesome to use. Interesting. And you know, if I start to probe too deeply into that, I'm sure I'll get confused and lost. So I want to keep it pretty high level. But what was the backstory? Like, uh, where yeah. did you identify this? Yeah. So I've always been a builder and I've, I've done like startups my entire life. I think this is maybe the fifth or sixth one. Um, and while I was at Uber, I was actually doing a side project, not yet a startup. Um, and I, um, at Uber, I was on the safety mobile engineering team. And I was doing, a, uh, in, in my uh, side project time, I was doing a crypto machine learning marketplace. Mm. Um, kind of like all the buzzwords in one. Sure. And um, I don't want to get too deep into it because of uh, like the crypto, ha uh, crypto haze and everything. But um, one thing that just like kept uh, uh, resounding across the entire time was it was just a real pain to get it, uh, to get it started. Um, it very much felt like pushing a boulder up a hill and every like one or two feet that we move forward, we slipped five feet back from exhaustion. Um, and it got to the point about like eight months in, of struggling with this, that it was, it was just very clear that it wasn't working. Um, and we, and inspired by Slack actually, uh, we, decided, we decided to look at all the things that were not working about uh, the project and managing environment variables and secrets just kept popping up in all these really interesting ways. Um, I'll give you an example. We had a uh, strike. We used, uh, so when we removed the crypto layer, the machine learning marketplace, and it was just a machine learning marketplace, we were using Stripe. And we actually put our Stripe uh, production key in staging and the staging one in prod. And what that meant is that we couldn't do any transactions. Um, and we didn't even realize this until like, I think two weeks later, when we tried charging ourselves, because it was like this silent outage. Um, and another one was we had this contractor that came on and it felt really weird to give them access to our Stripe production keys when they would just be there for like maybe a month, right? They're now getting access to all of our customers' credit cards and all the bank accounts that they had. Assuming that'd be a lot, but it was actually not that many, but it felt like a lot uh, because you wanna uh, keep trust with your customers. And it didn't feel like there was an easy way to do this. Like, hey, work for us for a month, but then you get our customers paid for life. Um, and that's kind of where the idea was born. Um, and afterwards, um, and, this, and so basically, uh, uh, I was really stressed and I decided to take a trip to Cancun um, to kind of just like take a breather from it all. 
And um, that's where the idea for Doppler was born, um, the environment variable. It was actually uh, my first day in Cancun, and I was just like, man, this isn't working. Um, <laughs> and I was in a hot tub, and I was literally like, wow, this machine learning marketplace is not working. I literally, nothing I can do will get it to work. Um, we, and and uh, I started daydreaming of what could be next and looking at the problems we face in environment variables. Um, fast forwarding a week, I came back to San Francisco and uh, uh, for the machine learning marketplace, we actually went through this program called Stripe Atlas. And they basically incorporate the company, but I actually think the best part of it is they try to uh, connect you with other like-minded people, founders, uh, through a community and uh, dinners. And so there was, uh, that month there was a dinner and it was at Zero Zero, which is uh, this pizza place. And uh, at that restaurant, I, I just go to these founders and, I, and I'm talking to them and I'm like, hey, how many of you had problems managing environment variables? And, and that can be sharing or outages, whatever it may be. And it, out of like the 50 people there, about 25, uh, 25 of them said that they had problems managing environment variables. And one woman in particular comes like rushing up to me. I thought she was gonna like trample me. And uh, she says, I've had three outages this week, have me a solution by Sunday. And I was like, no, 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 this is a Wednesday. This is going to take weeks or months to build. And she's like, uh, I don't give a fuck. Have it by Sunday. <laughs> uh, and that was like a very, okay, people really, really like, there, there's a demographic of people that really wanted it. Um, and when I dove deeper and I started like chatting with a bunch of people from individual developers, like C to Series A companies, all the way even to like the Ubers, the Lyfts and PagerDuty's, like we went around like pretty much all the like the tech startups that were like two years away from going IPO and chatted with everyone we possibly could. Um, and we and we heard like the resounding thing, which was that it was a pain point. Um, everyone was struggling, and they were struggling in different ways. Um, either that could be like EMD files of like manually sharing secrets, where like one engineer adds a secret and another engineer like now has broken build in their local development, and they have to go ping Slack. Hey, why is my build broken? Some other guys like, oh, you need this secret, and then shares it over Slack, which was an insecure way of doing it. Yeah, and it just felt very very manual. And then like a little bit larger companies had these like um, fast scripts or these hacky ways of doing it and it didn't always work. Maybe it didn't work on Windows or um, there was like just weird nuances to it because secrets, if you're off by one character, it's gonna lead to knowledge. Um, they have to be 100% precise. Um, and then larger companies were uh, paying very big contracts to um, our competitors and still very unhappy, um, very, very unhappy. And so it just felt like the market was open and um, I kind of went back and I uh, was like, wow, okay, there's something open, everyone's struggling, and the enterprise customers are paying a lot of money and still hate it. Um, and we built our uh, our MVP in like three weeks. And mm -hmm. the fourth week, uh, I kind of do Chipotle, I, I call it like kind of like uh, senior customers through Chipotle. I took as many friends as I possibly could that had a startup out to Chipotle in like two weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I probably spent maybe a thousand dollars on Chipotle, wow. and it, and the whole session. This I probably wouldn't do it today the same way, but it was like begging them to, to use our product, yeah. um, like literally hands on knees. Like I will get you whatever you want on this menu. Let me just <laughs> rant about Doppler for uh, like thirty minutes, and at the end, if you if you feel uh, safe about this, let's give it a try. Um, and mm. we ended up getting three customers that way, um, and and it just very much felt like uh, the market was dragging us from there from then on. Interesting. I like the, the hot tub in Cancun and the Chipotle um, growth hacking. Or <laughs> I'm a huge Chipotle lover. I, I did six months straight of only eating Chipotle. Um, wow. Do you so, lose weight or gain weight during that experiment? Oh, um, probably gained weight. Um, but now I'm doing, I'm doing the other, which is uh, uh, sweet green. I've really fallen in love with sweet green sweet and green. definitely losing weight during that. Good for you. Yeah. I, it's funny. I don't go to Chipotle much, although it's, it's good. Good stuff. Um, very interesting. Cool. And so when did you, you know, when did the trigger go off? It's time to go raise money for this. It happened very quickly. Uh, when we started getting customers, let's say our fourth or fifth week, um, well, fourth week we got three customers and then a whole bunch of feature requests immediately came and we started seeing like issues with implementation. We ended up rebuilding Doppler, I think four or five times. So mm -hmm. it was like, it, we did de definitely did not, like nail it the first time, um, but the core concept I think we did. Um, and we, I was at Uber and I, I literally did this. I would get to Uber at 10 a.m., I would leave at like 8 p.m. and then from 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. I would work on Doppler. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. And so there was very little room for sleep, but also felt like we were making, or I was making a lot of progress in that time. 
Um, and so I reached out through our network um, or through my network of friends and, um, and eventually started chatting to Kleiner Perkins. And um, basically my pitch to them was like, hey, I'm doing this with like, uh, like half of the time that I could give to it. Imagine what I could do if I was full time. Um, and so there were a lot of times where I was at the Uber HQ in like a telephone booth talking with Connor Perkins and like waving at my, my coworkers like, hey, how are you? And then like close the door and be like in a, in a pitch meeting with Kleiner. Um, and we raised a very small pre-seed and uh, right after that we got into YC. Um, and then it went very quickly from there. I think a week or two before demo day, we raised our, um, our full seed from Sequoia and a bunch of other amazing angel investors as well. Uh, like Nat Friedman from GitHub, um, Aaron from Box, um, and Peter Till a little bit later. Yeah, I want to talk about that. Let's talk about so the small pre-seed from Sequoia or for someone else? Uh, from Kleiner. Uh, from Kleiner. The pre-seed, yeah. And and maybe talk about that. Like so, because I think that's a pretty interesting story. You're still working, still have a full-time job. Um, was it just kind of informal discussions with Kleiner, and they say, "Hey, here's." Can you share how much, um, like, here's here's some cash to leave your job so you can, yeah. Yeah, that, that, it's very interesting. Well, they, I think we learned this a little bit later on, but I think they were booting up a new program where it was, like, specifically designed for this, where it's, like, give you a little cash to just accelerate you into a seat. Um, and we were just, um, in a way, the first ones to go. I think we were the first ones. I could be wrong, but if not, we were, like, in the first five. Um, and, yeah, it was just very, it, it was Honestly, we had no idea what we were doing fundraising, like absolutely no idea. So for us, it was just like, there was an investor, they had a really good reputation. People said a lot of amazing things about them. Um, and we knew that we needed, or I needed to get to full time um, on this. And so it was just a series, I think three or five conversations. And we barely talked about what we were doing today. We were, I was mainly talking about what the future looked like of the company and where I thought it could go. Because I didn't think that anything we really accomplished today would be enough. I mean, I, they knew I was technical and they knew I could probably build it. That wasn't the question. The question was like the market. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just focused all my energy on the market and like the future of it. Um, and we got very, very lucky. Um, now, right afterwards, I think like a week later, we got into YC. So, I mean, yeah. if, if it didn't end up happening, we still had YC, but we didn't know at the time. Like I had previously applied to YC, I think five or seven times. How, however number of startups I've done, that's how many times I've applied to YC um, and got rejected every single time. Um, so there was like no guarantee in my mind. If anything, the guarantee was that I was not going to get it, but I just felt foolish not to apply. Um, did, did you have the, because I mean, obviously if you can put on your application that Kleiner just did a little pre-seed into you, that probably helps. Oh yeah, we came, uh, I came into the interview and um, I was like, hey, we have, we're funded now. Like um, it, it, and I think YC actually really likes this, where you come in and you tell them, like, this is my rocket ship and I'd love for you to join it, but it's it's already going up. Regard and regardless of your investment, we are going to be successful. And that's pretty much how we phrased it to them, was like, hey, we're already funded, we're working on this, nothing's going to stop us, but I'd really love to have you on the journey and learn from you along the way. Yeah. I, I want to just touch, if, if I can, for one more moment on the pre-seed, like, can you share how much that amount was yeah um it was 300k on i believe a five mil valuation on a, um, on a safe or a note or, or an equity yeah it was it was definitely safe we only did one uh price round which is on our seat and the reason i'm, I'm curious is because there's just the whole pre-seed category is sort of a new thing that didn't really exist a few years ago so i'm trying to yeah. like, learn about that yeah I think if I did it again, I probably wouldn't do it. Not anything in regards to Kleiner. It's just more of, I, I think I probably didn't give myself enough credit. Um, like I have a lot of, as Doppler, we kind of see a lot of companies, right? Um, because we service companies. And a, a lot of the, the customers we see, they kind of had the same roads that we did, uh, or I did of like worked at some company, had an idea and then pivoted to going to that full time. And, um, I think I was, they, they kind of just went directly into the seed and they, they, they realized that the market was hot. And I, I think they actually had probably a lot more information about how to fundraise night. And so for me, 300K felt like a lot. In one of my previous startups, I raised $25,000 and I thought that was a seed round to me. Uh -huh. um, and I made that last eight months. And so 300K just felt like an ungodly amount of money. Um, and I wish I knew that you could raise $2 million on mm. roughly the same uh, picture of company. 
but it's just like kind of like hindsight's 2020. Sure, sure. All right, last question on this. Anything, so they like the future, you're talking about the future vision a lot. Anything else that you could kind of tell that Kleiner is looking for at the pre-seed level for other people who maybe are yeah. thinking about the same path, you know? I would say um, one thing we did really, really well and um, is we had this like really long-term vision. I, when I say long-term, I don't mean like two years out. I mean like eight years out. Um, and then we broke it into linear steps of uh, what we could accomplish all the way to today. And mm. so you could very easily extrapolate out and be like, okay, if they accomplish this on year one and year 1.5 and two and three and four, it makes sense that um, at year eight, they're this big company. And honestly, our precision was pretty off. Like, but that, that wasn't as relevant as more of those skills. And I think in the early days, especially pre-seed and seed, investors um, assume that whatever you're telling them is, is probably going to be like 60% or, or 50% wrong. But it's more that you have, A, the imagination and creativity and the ability to extrapolate um, and break it down into achievable tasks. And of course, you'll course correct along the way. And, and those analytical skills will still stay. And I think that's why they made the bet in us. It wasn't anything we had accomplished. I think if I came in and said, I had zero customers, I'm working on this all the time, they probably still wrote the check because of those skills that I was presenting. Um, Imagination, creativity, and what was the other part? Kind of the um, Breaking down, a, like having a long-term vision, yeah. which goes into the creative creativity piece, but then also making it something that's achievable. Like if you go yeah. and you say, hey, today I want to build a Facebook, that's a really like daunting task. Sure. But if you can come and say, hey, over eight years, I'm going to do these things, which will allow me to give me market share over Facebook and, they, and they're believable, that's a whole different game. Sure, sure. Interesting. Cool. Let's go ahead a little bit to YC days. So what were some of the, what was the most valuable part of YC? Any notable takeaways or just, you know? Yeah, I think there were like two parts. Mm. Um, the first was we had amazing partners. So uh, by, we, I mean, we had Solomon Hikes who created Docker, a hyper relevant for like a developer tools company. Um, we had Dalton uh, Cadwell, who is also just honestly my favorite partner of YC. He gives such straightforward, great advice. And like, there have been so many times where he's given advice and I almost like didn't agree with it. Um, didn't tell him that, but I just didn't agree with it. And then literally a day later, his advice hit me. Like, and it was just like, wow, like he was totally spot on. And now I just kind of just implicitly trust him. Um, and then, uh, from the others. And so those two partners in particular were really amazing for us. Solomon gave us a lot of technical advice and, and also just shared the story of Docker in a way that you can't really in the public, which gave us some insight of like how a developer tools company actually grows. Um, and then Dalton just gave us really sharp advice. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, right when we got Sequoia for our seed round, uh, that I think it was the day, the, the day later, I told him that we got Sequoia. And he previously had raised from Sequoia. And he said, hey, your life's about to change in, in ways you can't expect. Uh, people are going to start trying to offer you like uh, like private jets to, ba to basketball games courtside to get in your round now. And you have to say no because like those are momentary things versus mm -hmm. like you want long-term partners that are very aligned with your business. And yeah. I was like, no way this is going to happen. I'm like some random company in a batch of like 200 in YC. And we, we were lucky we got Sequoia. That's amazing. But like, no way this is going to happen. I, I swear to God, like three days later, um, I was at a barbecue and I'm not going to say who, but someone offered that exact thing. And I was just like, whoa. And if, and if Dalton didn't say that to me, I probably would have taken his money. That's funny. Um, what, what was Dalton's background? Did he have also have a DevOps company or something? No, no. He ran a, um, a music social company. Oh, okay. uh, I, I think I may be pronouncing it wrong, but I'm or Um mm. And I don't, I don't know much about it. And he doesn't really talk about it that much, at least not to me, but he just gives incredibly like accurate advice. And I'll, I feel like there's almost in Silicon Valley over advice where you don't, and they're all conflicting. And so it's really hard to get a signal of what to trust. Sure. Um, and a lot of times one decision can change your life, especially in the games of, uh, the, the game of startups. Um, and I've always kind of just taken him to like at his word and what he says, like, I kind of now know that even if I'm not seeing what he's seeing, eventually I will. Mm. Um, Interesting. And that's really powerful. And there's so not these, many people that I trust at that level. These two guys are, you've mentioned their partners. Were they sort of your assigned mentors or yes. something? How that yeah. So YC, you get broken up into groups because just the, 
the, the number of startups and founders. I mean, if you have 200 startups, I think there was like 400, 430 found, uh, founders. It's just too many for like one big group advice session um, where you can really get tailored advice for, for your experience um, in your startup. And so we got Solomon and Adora and uh, Dalton and really Dalton and, and Solomon helped us a lot. And, and Adora was great too, um, but really Dalton and, and Solomon helped us. Yeah, good. Cool. So good advice. Any other just notable, like, you know, if you yeah. reflect back, like what did you, the biggest takeaways or lessons learned or, or anything? I think there are a lot of lessons in YC and I don't want to spoil all of them because I think that's what makes YC special, mm. but I will talk about one. Um, and so Kevin is a partner at YC and he's, uh, he's really into design. And one thing that really stuck with me was he was, there's a story about mop buckets and I'm not going to spoil it all for you, but you get into YC really, really look forward to the story because it will blow your mind. <laughs> um, and one thing about it was just like design matters and, and it's not just design, but the user experience part. And I think one big thing about developer tools is typically in the early days, they're like hideously designed because mm -hmm. there's just so much utility that you have to build that design it. And you're typically not a designer. So like, that's the last thing you build. Yeah. And we kind of took the opposite approach. We focused a lot on design in the early days. We wanted someone to go and look, wow, this is really well crafted. And because of that, I can trust they've done X other things really to a high degree. And that helped us a lot. We've gotten a lot of compliments on our user experience uh, mm -hmm. because of it. Um, and so I think you'll get really good experience for, uh, or good feedback, sorry, from uh, the YC community. And then last and probably most important across everything else was community. Um, Community, I think, is like this big word that everyone says in YC, but it really does mean something. Um, before that, all my all my friends were like Uber employees, and we kind of like were all bonded by that Uber experience. And, and I was there, one, everyone saying Uber was evil, and I, I think they're still saying it to this day, but like less volume. Um, but it was like, it felt like a war that we were fighting. Mm -hmm. um, and when I joined YC, um, the people at Uber didn't really understand the experience I was going and they couldn't relate to my parents couldn't relate to my high school friends and college friends couldn't relate. Um, and then I, all of a sudden I had like 400 new friends and all of them exactly got what I was going through. And with startups, there's the highs are really highs and the lows are really lows. Um, and it was my, my friend base literally pivoted overnight. Like I saw, I'm still friends with people at Uber, but like my, like my go-to friends, the people I talk to every single day, they are all founders now. And, mm. And we, there were so many experiences we had. I mean, the, the TV show Silicon Valley, like a lot of those things actually happened to us. And I can't talk about all of them, but it's like we were all bonded by that. Um, and I'd say like, if you were gonna consider YC or any other program, I would really do it for the community more than the advice or anything else. Even like, I, nowadays there's so much liquidity in the market, you could raise a seed even without YC, but yeah. you won't be able to get that level of community. Interesting, good. Well, and, and I would assume a lot of those 200 are, are all customers or potential customers for what you're doing too. Yeah. So that helps. I wouldn't say all of them, uh, like the biomedical ones, probably not, but, uh, and there was literally a jetpack company and uh, that made literal jetpacks. Uh, so they weren't, but a, a, a fair amount of them were. And yes, it did set up a pipeline uh, for, for growth in the future where every batch uh, can use Doppler, but that wasn't the main benefits. Um, Doppler is going to grow regardless of that. Yeah. All right. Let's keep going on the fundraising. So then how did you get plugged in with Sequoia? Were they just sniffing around the, yeah. the companies before demo day or what? So I don't know exactly how it happened, but I have my suspicions. Um, we had a very, I would say, untraditional worries compared to, as you say, most people in the batch were just in general, where we just got flooded. Um, and, and like, I think it was like a third week, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we had like 50 emails from, or maybe 20, and then 20 turned into 50 down the line. Uh, it was just, it was overwhelming the amount of inbound we had. Um, and I cannot tell you how to get that. Yeah. Um, I can tell you that there's certain things there that like, if you're like a high margin business and, and pure software, you're probably going to get more inbounds, right? Um, but I, I couldn't control what invest, what appetite investors had. But I can tell you the tactics we used along the way that really helped us. Um, yep. And so Sequoia was one of those. And um, now Sequoia has a very involved process when they fundraise. So they're not gonna be your fastest check. If anything, they're probably gonna be your, your slowest check, but it's definitely worth waiting for them. Um, and I don't think we've really shared this with a lot of people, so I'm happy to share it with you guys. Um, we, we had a lot of inbound and um, we started getting commitments pretty quickly. Um, and I think one of the main reasons why we got commitments very quickly 
is again, we were talking about the long-term vision. We were like, hey, we're doing this now, but this is really how it gets big. And like, I feel like a lot of founders will be like, oh, the market's like 10 billion. And that was just like some random number they picked. And for us, it's like, we're gunning for like a hundred billion dollar market. And that means we're gonna have to grow the market. And we explained how we would do that. And so we got a lot of genuine interest. But um, the, th the thing like you're kind of trained like throughout your entire life that if someone like gives you something, you want to take it because it gives you satisfaction for taking it. Mm. And so you have this like immediate knee-jerk reaction to say, yes, I'll take your money, right? Mm. And, and especially um, for a lot of first-time founders, you'll experience this, you'll feel like this money is a gift when really it's not, it's an investment. I think there, there's a very important distinction there. Like yeah. they're, they're, they're putting in capital and change, they're getting equity, which at the time would probably feel meaningless to you, but it really does have a lot of value. That's the most, that's the most uh, valuable asset the company has is in fact. Um, so it, it is a real exchange. And um, we didn't know what to do because we started getting all these commitments and we didn't want to say yes yet because once we started saying yes, we, we couldn't take Sequoia because Sequoia is, and, and just the bigger firms in general, like a Greylock, which also we raised from, um, they all want to do the entire round. Yeah. So if you start taking small checks, you're very quickly cut out of the big ones. Um, and we didn't know what to do. And so we kind of just like, um, we found a creative solution to it. We engineered our way out of it. And the way we did that is we said, hey, we, we did two things which were uh, genuine. One is we told them we're not looking for capital because we actually had a lot of money in the bank from our pre-seed, which kind of plus YC's money, it positioned us well. I think we had close to like uh, like 400K in the bank, which for two people felt like a lot. Um, so we're like, we're not looking for capital, but we are looking for the right partner. And yeah. to us, the right partner means that A, you really get our product. Um, B, you have a portfolio that we can tap into and start selling to. Yeah. Um, and C, your network with other investors that we would uh, that we would like to have on our journey with us. Um, mm -hmm. And so we had two asks for every investor that committed to us. We said, thank you for the commitment, but before we can make a decision, we need two things from you. Can you introduce the three customers that are in your portfolio? Um, and, the, and we actually stole that from, um, I think it was Google and Ron Conway, where like Google gave Ron Conway a task to, be, uh, to, to, uh, to convince the Google founders to take Ron Conway. I, I believe that's the story. It could be, it could be swapping companies, but th that was a general thing. Um, and so we did that. And then the other thing we asked is, hey, can you introduce the three investors that you've invested invested with in the past that you deeply respect. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah. what that ended up doing is it's um, is we got some customers and that gave that gave the investors more conviction. But yeah. also for the raise, now those three investors turned into uh, to like nine investors, and those nine and like you can, you can extrapolate out and our two million two point three million dollar round turned into like a seven million commitments because like we just kept running the tactic again and again. And we, we wow. had this like, huge pool of investors um, and it just, and it was a great stalling tactic, honestly, because it gave us so much leverage. Um, and we, and we held all those commitments. And then when um, we, we got Sequoia and Sequoia was very interesting for us because um, we had a very, that same day that, um, so with Sequoia that you go through like a bunch of partner meetings. So you'd be mm -hmm. like, uh, a one-on-one -on -one, and then you do a one-on-one -on -one with a different partner and then you do like a group partner session or maybe one more one-on-one -on -one, and then a group partner session. Yeah. And then they do a whole ton of due diligence. Like uh, they wouldn't talk to my Facebook friends out of nowhere. Like, I mean, wow, like, really? you just don't know what's going to happen. It's Sequoia. It's like the best in the world. Um, and um, so we had no idea what was happening there. And, and, it, and it was like, I think it was like a week or two. Um, and so we were meeting with another top tier fund and we had a very bad experience. Hmm. Uh, we got, we went to like this Joe and the juice shop and I'm not going to say the, the firm's name, yeah. but we basically got roasted, like roasted alive. They were like, I don't understand why you're even in YC. Um, like, wow. yeah, yeah. We got like totally roasted. Was that a tactic on their part, do you think, to kind of like knock you down a few valuation pegs or, or they just didn't? I don't think so. <laughs> I think it was the partner. So that, that partner had roasted us before, before YC. Okay. Uh, well, we were talking with clients, he roasted us before, and then he invited us to Joe and the Juice and then roasted us again, um, like huh. six months later. Um, and so we walked out of that and we were like, what just happened? We got invited to this thing. Obviously, when you get invited, you think it's going to go well, um, or at least you have, a ch you have a chance of it going well. And we just got roasted a lot. Um, Funny. And so we're walking out and we're like really bummed. And we get our, our text from Stephanie, our, our partner, and she says, what do you want to do for dinner? And that was like, like, I, I'm like, Ooh, okay, we're probably going to get this thing. But you always have that doubt, like, maybe she's going to take you to dinner to, like, reject you. 
let you know. So like weird founder things, you don't want to get your hopes up and then like get them disappointed. Um, and I'm also a Chipotle lover. So I said, Chipotle. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and and I also wanted to show we're, like, we're frugal founders, right? Uh, yeah. Or frugal founder, not like we're going to go to steakhouse. Um, and she's like, can we do something a little fa fancier? Um, and we ended up picking um, a, a really nice restaurant. And she does the standard, like, slip the, uh, uh, well, actually, before, uh, when I first see her at the restaurant, I ask her, is this going to be a good dinner or a bad dinner? Uh -huh. uh, and she said, good dinner. And then all the like anxiety went away. Wait, sorry, Stephanie's at uh, Sequoia, just to- Yes, Stephanie's okay, up gotcha. on Sequoia. Okay. Sorry, sure. I jumped this time. Um, but yeah, we, we met Sequoia, or Stephanie from Sequoia at this dinner. Uh -huh. um, and she said it was gonna be a good dinner. And that was great. Anxiety went away. And then at the very end of the dinner, she like slips us an envelope that has the term sheet in it. That's beautiful. I love it. This sounds like something out of HBO's Silicon Valley. Oh, theory. it totally was. I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if Doffer will ever get a movie someday, but if it does, you guys will have a lot of great scenes. Uh -huh. Good. Beautiful. Um, really good. And it, it, okay, so so you you were, I love going, rewinding a little bit. You're doing this viral tactic, right? Where yeah. you get people to introduce you. Now when Sequoia slips that letter, yeah. you just go back to everyone like, sorry guys. No, we actually we didn't. Um, because there were a, a fair amount of commitments that we had that um, we genuinely wanted. Yeah. And so we were originally actually going to raise $1.6 million. Um, and we go back to Sequoia and Sequoia wanted to do the full 1.6. Yeah. And uh, this is actually a tactic um, I believe to be true. And I think other people will tell you otherwise, but this has been my experience so far. Um, and that is valuations, at least in the early stages, probably like seed and below are all BS. Um, it, and it's all just like some number to get to a certain dilution target, which is the thing that matters is the dilution target. Um, and so we want, we, we have planned out every single raise, um, all the way to IPO and exactly how much dilution, uh, we, the company is going to take. Um, uh, and so we had a very specific one and we came in and we showed to quite the stretching, like, this is what we want now. And, and they were exactly hitting it on the nail, which was mm. amazing. I think the the dilution was like, uh, 12%, um, first seed. Okay. Which is quite low. Um, and, uh, but I was also like, Hey, we have these amazing angel investors and, and, and firms that also want to come in. And I think they could drive a lot of value. Um, and so her solution was simple, just bump the valuation. Um, and so we just bumped the valuation in the amount we raised to like 2.3 and we cherry picked the very best. Um, and all of them, um, all of them drove some certain level of value. So, I think a lot of times I, I've seen, I, I kind of try to help founders uh, because like a lot of founders help me. And one common trend that I see is they're looking for the money instead of the partner. Yeah. Um, and the thing is the money will almost always be a constant if you have like a, um, like a good company, like you're going to raise the amount that you want to raise. It's yeah. the partners that will be on that journey for the, for the seven, eight, 10 years that really matter. Um, and so what we did was we built a matrix and we literally placed everyone in this matrix and we were like, Okay, Sequoia can help in this way, and Aaron Levy from Brox can help in this way. He can help us understand enterprise sales. Jeff Quiezer can uh, from uh, from Box can help us learn how to build out uh, an impressive engineering team. Uh, Peter Thiel, uh, which we eventually got a couple months later, um, can will just be a great uh, like voice uh, or credibility for Doppler. Um, and, and we just kind of went down this this list, um, and we started placing people in like where where do they add value? Um, because again, going back to what I said before, is like we were looking for the right partner, not just money. Um, yeah. or money was actually probably a consequence of having a good partner in our in our words. Um, and so we just placed everyone in this matrix, and once it felt like the matrix was like this is this would actually position us well, then we went and accepted the, the commitments for for very specific people. And we the the ones that we did, we were like, hey, this is where we stand. We actually were very um transparent and we shared this is how, this is why we made these decisions we also think that you could be helpful in the next round and we tried to keep a really good relationship with them going forward and actually a couple of them um we suspect will uh invest in the future routes it's a it's it is an amazing list i was looking at it uh on pitch books i think it's all publicly available but like you know jeremy stoppelman the yelp yeah. founder um kevin hartz uh eventbrite right and he's done yeah. a few things um, pretty amazing list. So I was going to ask how you got all these guys together. You just explained that with this value matrix. Any, um, 
any anecdotes from pitching like Peter Thiel, who's sort of on a another plane altogether? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, probably what I'll say is probably not what everyone wants to hear, but I'll say it anyways. Um, he is like next level and then also normal at the same time. Okay. Um, so we, um, we, uh, when we, when we met him, so we, we kind of like took the train or I took the train down to Palo Alto. Um, and, uh, Peter Schiavo has like a series of houses and these houses are like just there for meetings. Hmm. Like that's the only thing the house does is like, I guess to me, founders or other people. Um, and so we show up to this house. There's like a, a chef cooking food for us. There's like a maid cleaning in the background and Peter Thiel was nowhere to be seen. Uh, and I'm just sitting there and like, there's like this doorman. He's like, here, sit here. He was like, food already there, ready for me. And um, Peter Thiel just like walks in. I think it was, he was, he wasn't in like, like a, a regular, I think he was almost in pajamas or something close to that. Like it, it was, it, it was very much any, and it was like a driver came in and um, he's like, Hey, sorry, I just came from my other home. Um, and I'm flying out to LA like right after this. And, that was the crazy part of like Peter, where it's just like, whoa, you live on a next level. You have a house dedicated for meetings with like chefs and maids and stuff. Um, but outside of that, he was surprisingly very normal. Um, the conversations were, I mean, they were great. And we, we, we uh, like dove super deep into certain areas. Um, but it, it, it wasn't like this mind bending experience. Um, and honestly, I don't expect it to because I feel like a yeah. lot of times when you talk to like, or when you hear about an Elon Musk or Peter Thiel, they're like the stories of stories of stories. Eventually he's like the giant who conquered everyone. You know what sure. I mean? When sure. reality is yeah. one dude doing his thing. Um, and so I kind of, and you kind of realize that being a founder is when you, when you meet with all these great people, it's just, they're, they're just people, right? And they've had their experiences and those experiences keep getting retold. Um, and I did have a, an amazing conversation with him, but it wasn't, it wasn't like this guy like shining and, and everything where like everyone's expecting something crazy. He didn't levitate into the room and uh, 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 yeah. No, but I've never seen someone come in with pajamas uh, with like a limo taking them into from one home to another. I mean, or a, a cool Ventel limo. It was like some black shiny car that I saw from the corner of my eye. Awesome. Um, awesome. Very cool. I won't keep you too much longer, but you so you built this value matrix. Who can bring what value? And then you kind of executed on that, got your dream team in. How are you now tapping and leveraging and extracting that value? Do you have systems for that or is it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, going back to the matrix, yeah. everyone, every investor falls in the churn category. So um, Sequoia has been incredibly helpful with um, a couple of things. One is like, as a, I actually a note to founders, when you were creating your company, read a book called play bigger you must read this book play I, like okay. it's all about category creation i think most people watching this will be like what is a category um if you don't uh, one of my one of the the lines that really changed for me in this book was like if you don't even know what category you're in you're playing in someone else's sandbox and they're setting all the rules um you want to be the one setting the rules and and also like like the category came the one the the, the majority state uh market shareholder of a category, like it's 90 or 95% of profits, right? And sets all the rules. So you kind of want to be them, like Apple with the app store. They're the, yeah. um, they're the category king or like Facebook or social. Um, and so we, we uh, like with Sequoia, they, they've helped, they've given us a lot of advice along the way. And I'll actually give you a clear example of this. Um, there's a, after reading this book, I was like, we need to bring on a category consultant. Um, we need to develop this category because clearly we don't have one. Um, and I'm very passionate about that. And it was, we were looking at like a fifty or sixty thousand dollar bill for like a three month engagement with the category export uh, mm. expert. And um, I go to Sequoia in one of our monthly meetings, and I'm telling I'm telling this, and they're like, "Okay, okay, okay. Yes, you need a category, but hold off for a second. I think you're a little too early to bring on engage a consultant, but talk with James. Um, and James is um, I like to call him the chief storyteller at uh, Sequoia. This guy was like involved in like a bunch of movie productions, like Shrek. And he is like, if you ever get a chance to talk with him, it's an absolute pleasure. He is, um, he's like the best storyteller I've probably ever seen in my life. Um, like just having a normal conversation about like breakfast will feel like a, an, an engaging story of like you <laughs> conquered the world with him. Awesome. Um, and within the, and so they, they booked a meeting with, with me and James and within the first 10 minutes we had a category and it was very simple. I mean, he just hit down the head and this is a guy that's not technical, doesn't know anything about secrets management and he developed our category in 10 minutes and, and we went from uh, managing environment variables to a universal secrets manager. 
Mm. Um, mm. And that's like a really powerful thing. And when developers hear that, it really resonates. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just like one example where like Sequoia was like super value add. They also like do a lot of uh, stuff in, in helping you like build our hiring, uh, like they have their own hiring team, um, like dedicated recruiters and they'll help you develop your pipeline, um, which is like recruiting is really hard. This is actually a misnomer. I thought when, um, when I was like a founder in like high school and college, if I just had the money, I could hire the people. And it was just like this kind of thing where like money always felt like a problem. And I can mm -hmm. tell you right now that if you have a company, money is your smallest problem. Everything mm -hmm. else is ginormous. Hiring is really hard. Finding product market fits hard. Yeah. Learning how to build a brand is hard. Like that mm -hmm. is the hard stuff. Um, and they kind of help you with that uh, like non-obvious hard stuff. Um, then we have other investors like, um, like Jeff. And I have uh, a meeting with him every two weeks and we go over the, the two hardest uh, uh, problems that the, the company has from an engineering perspective. Because he's, in, he's like an engineer at heart, just like me. Yep. And so some of this, uh, Doppler is in a unique position because we're at the crossroads of developer productivity, uh, security, um, and, a, and a bit of DevOps. And so you really, it's like typically the more secure you are, the, the less uh, like user experience it is, right? It'll be a, probably a worse user experience. And we have to be a tool where like the more, uh, the more you use Doppler, the more productive you are, the better your DevOps gets and the better your security gets. Like, and that's a really hard thing to do. It, we we, we kind of like put a lot of effort into abstracting to make it seem simple. And yeah. like, oh, this is just a simple tool to use. But there's actually a lot of stuff that goes on in the background. And he also solve those technical problems. Um, and then like Kevin Hart, he's like really been great from like a culture and engineering perspective. Uh -huh. Or sorry, cult, uh, culture and team building perspective. Where like I have conversations with him. Um, about like, okay, how, what, what should this culture look like? And, and Eventbrite had a very interesting culture um, that you could probably read about. And so like, and there was a lot of things he learned along the way of like, maybe you don't want to index too much on being nice. Uh, or on being nice. Oh, uh -huh. Because everyone's like too nice, then they don't really share feedback. So like one thing we mm -hmm. actually, uh, right after chatting with him that, that I said in the company is like, it does not matter who has the idea, the right idea, it's that the company gets the right idea. Mm. And you should advocate for the idea um, but not fighting for yourself, but fighting for the idea as a core, right? And then, and then we also layered on top, disagree and commit. At the end, at the end of each meeting, there's a stakeholder who owns this decision. Yeah. Um, and regardless of everyone disagrees, this is the stakeholder as the final call. But his promise back to the rest of the team is if it's not working, we will revisit this and, and um, like re regroup and um, re uh, what do they call it? It's like one of, like a missile, like uh, trying to find its target. It's uh, wow. Re recalibrate. I don't know. Yeah, recalibrator. Um, there's a very specific word I'm missing, and it's going to bother me. And I'll, I'll, right after this, I'll, I'll remember what the. It's okay, we can edit it in. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but I think you, the you get where I'm going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Very good. Cool. All right. Well, this is really fun. Um, Amy, this is a question I ask everyone. If you could go back again, do it all over. It's, I'd say you've kind of op you've came out with a pretty much like optimal scenario, but is there anything you would do differently or, you know, other yeah. advice we haven't talked, touched on that you would share with your younger self? Yeah, I think there had been two things. One, probably would not have raised a pre-seed. Um, I would have thought deeply because like in, in the early days of Doppler, we went through a couple people and um, I would have thought really deeply about like, okay, general thing of like, um, I've watched a lot of TV shows and I really like TV shows. I'm a TV show addict. And one, one show I really like is like suits. And in there, they kind of have this thing of like, um, hire someone for the potential that they have. And then that person will grow into that potential. Right. Uh, like Mike, um, that's not reality. Yeah. And at least in a startup, in a startup, you need to hire people that are much, much smarter than you, much, much more experienced than you. And you are always going to be the dumbest person in the room as CEO or as founder, because your job yeah. is to hire smarter people. Yeah. And in the early days, I took the opposite approach. I was like, I, I pulled in people that I thought had potential that could grow into it. And the reality is I had no idea what I, like, how to solve like a marketing problem. They had no idea either. And we were both struggling together. Yeah. Now, and so like what we do now is we, we will almost overpay for like a really good person because they're going to be far, far more uh, smarter than us in this. And they'll just add a ton of value and grow the, like the, 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 the knowledge of the team. Um, hmm. And so that was one really big learning lesson that I had. The other is like fire fast, even if it's a friend. You mm -hmm. just like, it, it's like at the end, and, and you think about it, like a lot of times as a founder, you're like, oh, I don't want to fire this person. It's going to be a bad experience. 
But most of the time, these people know that they're not doing a good job. And like they, and nobody likes knowing that they're not doing a good job, right? Like everyone wants to feel like they're succeeding. And so if they're not equipped to succeed and the company is not succeeding because of them, it's actually mutually beneficial to just let them go in a very like polite, respectful way, set them up with the next thing. Like when we let go of one of our early people, um, it was actually completely my fault that he did that because like I did not set him up for success. Yeah. And, and I helped place him in the next role and actually the role after that. Um, and I think someday he will actually join Doppler again because he's a fantastic person. But then the company will be well positioned and he will, he will have gained the knowledge and experience to really come in and drive a lot of value from day one. Mm. Um, and so that was a big learning lesson. So I'd say no pre-seed, uh, fire fast, hire slow. Um, and um, really um, think about like culture. That's a really big one. Yeah. Um, Wesley talks about this a lot and I think it's 100% right. When you start bringing on your first early people, they're essentially the concrete that you're standing on as a company. And so everyone needs to be culturally aligned or else it's going to create a whole bunch of headaches in the future. Um, And also then everyone will have like different values. So um, yeah, those are some of the things that I would do going back. Um, Real real quick on that. I mean, like why would you skip a pre-seed again if you do it again? Um, the, The main reason why is like, I think when we raised our seed round, we uh, only spent about 100K of like the 300K. Of the pre-seed, um, okay. Mm-hmm. Right, so there was like 200K that basically got, uh, that, that was super expensive because it, it like it was unused capital at a very, very low valuation. Yeah. 5 million versus like a, uh, our seed, which was I think 16.5. Yeah. Um, and so I just think nowadays today, if you are a founder that is technical, and explicitly, if you are technical, because yeah. that is an absolute, absolutely needed thing. Um, at least if you're working on something. Um, yeah. I think you can go straight to a seed round as long as you've done your homework, which is like thinking about what does a long-term thing look like, making sure that you've kind of like bootstrapped long enough to know that you're building something people actually want, that you're capable of building it, that it's slightly resonating. Maybe, you know, you haven't like gotten five more fit. You're like 30% of the way there. Like it feels like things are clicking, but there's probably some bumps in the road. At that point, you can definitely raise a seed. And you got to come in with a, a bunch of confidence. If you're like, oh, maybe you, you put money in, in our company, then we will succeed. Like, yeah. that is a clear no. You need to come in and be like, we're going to su- succeed regardless of your investment. Sure. But we really love the help uh, and the partnership along the way. Um, yeah. And I think if you, you have those attributes, you can definitely raise a seed round without a pre-seed. And it, it's purely just the dilution savings uh, thing of what I'm talking yeah. about. That's an important point there. I don't think people realize or think about dilution as much as clearly you have. Um, and and that pre-seed round is expensive capital, right? Because yeah, I, I think it's important to think about dilution because a lot of times if you're a founder, you're going to be starting off with either like 150 percent uh, or thirty-three percent, right? One founder, two founders, or three founders. Um, and at any of those, it feels like a lot of equity, right? Um, and then when you're one, and the thing is, you don't know what the future is going to hold. So like when you do your your seed round, all of a sudden you're at like if you're a single founder, you're at like. 80% or 90 something percent, right? Because like there's 10% or 20% dilution, which is usually one or the other. Yeah. Um, and now you're like, oh, I still have 90. And then the B comes, and then the A comes. And now you're at like 70% and then the B and then the C. And like, eventually when you go IPO, you're at like 20% or 30% if you are like a single founder. And if you were like, if you had three founders, well, you're at like 5%. Yeah. And it, it, it becomes very, very quick. It, 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 hit, it quickly hits that you don't have control of your company anymore. Um, and you're now working for the investors instead of the investors working for you. Um, and, or just the, the company working for you. Really. Yeah. Um, and, um, like a company is a vehicle for change, but it's not just a vehicle for change for like your customers, but also for your personal life in a way, just sure. to be honest. Yeah. Um, and it, and it quickly becomes not that if you, if you don't watch dilution carefully. It's a good point. I, I feel like on this show, we've had a lot of founders we haven't, Touched on that enough, probably. Probably need to emphasize that a little bit more. Is, yeah. So. Yeah, it will definitely be a hindsight twenty twenty. I talked to a fair amount of founders. Um, I won't say their names out of respect, but that didn't track for or didn't didn't really like focus on dilution. And you will hear a lot of things like, "Oh, it's greedy to think about dilution," or 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 think ignore that stuff. You should know because at the end day, this is why you're working so hard. This is why you're going to give up a relationship. This is why you're going to not see your friends. This is why you're going to keep pushing through when it feels like the world is falling apart in 2020. 
right? Like this is the reason. So like you really need to make sure you stay incentivized and you keep controlling your company. Yep. Um, and all of them regret it. All of them that they didn't that they didn't actively track uh, and, and and optimize for Doge. And I'm not saying hey, like you come in, you're like 10% and that's it. And like you you're basically like a bully to the investors. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying you gotta you gotta plan it out and, and you gotta think deliberately. And you got to realize that when you make a decision and it's like a 20% for a seed round, that that will have real impact six years from now or five years from now. Absolutely. Good. Brian, I think that's a good note. Control your, control your destiny, control your dilution. Um, if people want to learn more, it's simply Doppler.com, correct? Yep. Doppler.com. My, my one ask for anyone watching the show um, or podcast is um, that if you ever had problems managing environment variables, secrets, um, or anything security or have problems with developer productivity, just try out Doppler. Um, a lot, I, I feel like a lot of developers will say this where it's like developers love this because that's like the slogan, right? Um, we actually need it. And yeah. um, test out the product and I think you'll see it for yourself. Um, and we're always here. I'm Brian at Doppler.com. I love giving advice. I love paying it forward. So many people help me along this journey. And if I can be a resource to them in any way, please uh, reach out. That's awesome. Appreciate that shout out. What just out of curiosity, what was Doppler.com before you? I'm assuming you purchased it. What was it before? <laughs> um, so before it was owned by a uh, funny story, um, a man in Texas who was uh, had the domain up for sale and he was using a Chinese broker. And we negotiated for three months in Chinese uh, to uh, convince him to give us a domain that was originally costing $700,000 for like $100,000. Whoa. Uh, yeah. Um, and then before that, we actually had Doppler.market because we're a marketplace. Okay, um, sure. Marketplace. And so that was actually Aaron, Aaron Levy um, from Vox. He came in and he said, um, so we, we met him at a kind of Perkins Center or, or, or function, and we were trying to pitch him to invest in Doppler and really just join the, 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 the journey. And he goes, hey, if you get the .com because .market is, is silly, no one's going to respect that, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> I will invest. And so then we negotiated for three months, and I see him like right after we get it. Um, at another function, you tell them, and he does. That's funny. Well, because Box used to be Box.net. Yeah, so I think he personally had experience yeah. exactly what I was talking about. And, and, and I'm so glad. Literally, the, the day that we went from .market to .com, I think our organic traffic like quadrupled or something. Oh, Maybe even more. It was like, uh, it, was a, it was a big, pretty big jump. Funny. Interesting. Cool, man. This is great. I appreciate it so much. Um, well, good luck. Happy holidays to you. And um, we look forward to hearing what the next next tranche is. Maybe we'll have you after after the next round, whatever that may be. So yeah, I appreciate it. It'd be amazing, and thank you so much for hosting. Thanks, Brian. Over now. Bye. Oh, hey, you still there?